to the League of Leaders podcast. I'm your host, Kevin Davis. Today, I am honored to have Keith Parent on the mic with me. Many of you know the end product of the work of Keith and his buddies, FUBU, the For Us Bias apparel line that took the world by storm in the 90s. Keith grew up in Queens, New York, and through the upbringing and encouragement of his single parent mother, he began working at the age of 14. By 18, he had established himself in New York's real estate market, first working for New York's housing and urban development office, then as a rental agent, and finally as a property manager of a 200-unit Harlem complex, the youngest manager in the company. Keith Parent is an accomplished, well-known entrepreneur who successfully introduced FUBU, the collection, a game-changing apparel brand that currently reports over $6 billion in retail sales to date. As vice president and director of marketing, Keith was the point person who placed FUBU in dozens of music videos, photo shoots, concerts, TV appearances, and movies. His relationship with music artists and dozens of celebrities is on a first name, private access basis. That has been the mainstay of FUBU's strategy for years. In his role, he also was a point person dealing directly with key retail accounts that were FUBU primary sales outlets. He and his three partners, Damon John, Carl Brown, and Jay Alexander Martin, realized extraordinary success and changed the way business viewed the role of young multicultural entrepreneurs throughout America. In recognition of Keith's contributions to the fashion industry and his business management skills, he has been honored with many prestigious awards. He is also the brand manager of celebrity integration for the Shark Group. At the Shark Group, one of Keith's main responsibilities is connecting celebrities and influencers with companies Damon John invest in and building valuable relationships. Keith is a proud member of the greatest fraternity in the world, Phi Beta Sigma Fraternity Incorporated. Keith continues to pioneer new ventures in a quest to ensure urban lifestyle maintains a grip on society. Ubu Radio is his latest project and he serves as the CEO and GM of the station where he oversees administrative and business functions of it. Launched in December 2015, Ubu Radio has scintillating concept to promote the best of our past while celebrating possibilities for our future. It's a bridge to what made us who we are and we're evolving into progressing as a society. He says his dissatisfaction with today's current radio programming is what prompted him to create the station. He wanted to make sure there was something more exciting to listen to. Welcome to the show. I am glad to have you on. Thank you for having me. <clears throat> we briefly met in passing last year um, in Conclave, Las Vegas. Right. Um, I was standing there and, and a good friend, brother Chris Rice, was like, hey man, let me, let me introduce you to somebody real quick. Um, and you were in passing and, and I think we're finishing up one of the, one of the, uh, one of the sessions. So I was like, oh, that was cool. And I've always seen you around and had that brief moment. Um, but before we jump into your story, you know, I did want to highlight the Sigma piece. Um, you've been a Sigma for over a decade now. Um, how has life treated you thus far? Oh man, I love it. I love it. I love the unity of the brotherhood. Um, we are actually doing a lot of great things in the community. Um, you know, I was just on a call with, uh, with, uh, the president and, um, Ben Vereen and, uh, uh, Wayne Brady and, um, Blair Underwood and, uh, Bill Duke, um, you know, just talking about, you know, what can we do as honorary members to, you know, to utilize our, our network and our abilities that we have and, and celebrity that we have to bring to the, uh, fraternity but also what can the fraternity do in turn to you know 
use us and what we got going on and, and further what we got going on as well. Being that the membership is, I think he said over 500,000 strong with the Soros. Um, so, you know, um, I, I've been loving it, man. I've, I've been speaking to the kids, uh, bigger and better business. Yeah, I've been um, at the Conclave. We, you know, had the opportunity to go around and speak to a bunch of the kids and, and have, um, you know, different different segments um, throughout the days that we were out there. And I really enjoyed it. It was the first time, you know, because, you know, to keep it honest with you, when we first, uh, when we first got honored and, and was brought in, there wasn't really a real, you know, person in charge to, 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 to facilitate what we were brought in for. So um, Brother Craig um, Collins came in and, and, and took the, the helm on that. And, and Brother Ben, I'm telling you, Brother Ben is like a firestorm. Like he came in and, you know, he's been just pushing and calling my phone and, hey, I need you on the call next week. And, you know, so it's exciting and I, I'm really excited to see what we can do and how we can uh, work together and, and build the fraternity even more. It's, it's been cool. Um, you know, I've been in it's 18 years this past March and seeing a level of engagement, um, you know, with you and uh, Ben Breen, like I said, he's super Neo. He came in ready to rock and roll. Yeah. Um, and it's good. I, you know, I did see some of the photos from the, from the, uh, the video chat that you all had. I'm like, wow, you know, it's a good number of brothers. Uh, that are actively engaged and I, I definitely love that energy um, and seeing how you all are able to lend your professional talents to the brotherhood and help us move forward as one brotherhood so I definitely appreciate that um, but I definitely wanted to just underscore how I just felt it was dope you know if you think back to the history of FUBU and, and the remark that you all have made on not just apparel but just when you think about co-branding you think about uh, placements and things like that. And I'm able to say, you know, three out of four men in that group are in my same fraternity. You right. know, so I, I feel like that's, that's dope. And, and as you mentioned, I feel like that's um, the epitome of our, of our program, Bigger and Better Business. So, you know, I appreciate it and I look forward to seeing what, what you're able to do uh, with the fraternity going forward. So we definitely need that, that type of professional mentorship uh, right. within the organization. So thinking about the beginning of FUBU and I was looking through your bio and I was just looking at your background starting out in 89, you know, at, at the, uh, the National Housing Partnership. Um, and I was looking at the timelines and it looks like you started, you're doing the retail thing, excuse me, real estate thing in New York. And there was some overlap in there with FUBU starting. And even after FUBU started, you were still there for a little while. Mm -hmm. um, what, what made you hold on for a little bit? And, and what was that, that, that moment where you knew, you know, it's time for me to, to take off and, and do my own thing. So, you know, what happened was Damon, it was, it was around 89 actually that he came up with this idea. You know, he's always been, he's always had that entrepreneurial spirit and, you know, just to go back a little bit, me growing up in, in, in Hollis, Queens and Queens village where I grew up at, um, I was just really on the wrong path. I was hanging around with the wrong dudes and, you know, getting in trouble. And and I wound up meeting Damon and Jay uh, first in high school. And um, we were all like in the same class. And for some reason, me and Damon just kind of, you know, clicked. Um, then he introduced me to Jay and said that this, this was one of his best friends and we started to become close. So as I was leaving school and going back to my neighborhood, and seeing what my neighborhood offered me and the guys that was around me, you know, what they were doing, 
And then, you know, getting a call from Damon, like he's calling my house like, hey, let's go to the LL concert. It's in Philly. All you need is $50. We'll, we'll pool together and we'll pay for gas in a hotel room, you know, but we'll, and, and something to eat for the night. You, you should be fine. Um, so I started kind of weighing my options. I was like, okay, with these guys, I'm getting in trouble. With these guys, I'm, I'm traveling, I'm going on tour, I'm, I'm, you know, going out of town, which is great. It was the first time going out of town by myself um, without my family. Um, so as I got to about 17, I got into this real bad car accident where I almost died. Um, that's where I got this scar on my forehead from. And as I came out the hospital, I said to myself, um, I got to get myself together. <laughs> you know, I'm telling my mother I want to buy her a house and I want to do all these great things, but on this road that I'm going now, I'm, I'm never going to be able to do that. So I wind up getting with, um, you know, just making that decision, that choice and saying, hey, I'm going to start hanging out with Damon and them because they're doing positive things. And then um, he started this thing a couple of years later after that, FUBU rather. And um, once he started it, I was already doing property management. So I didn't really have a lot of time to, to really dive in with him. But then around 1992, he was like, listen, this thing, you know, could really be something. I want you guys to, to come on board and help me and, and see if we can take this, you know, because around our neighborhood, everybody was like, you're never going to be a clothing designer. You're never going to have a company. You know, it was all negative. Um, and I think we were the only four people that really believed in us and then um, and his mother as well. Um, so when he started it, when we launched it in 92, I was still a property manager. So he used to have me up all night from, I used to work from, from nine to five, get home about six, six thirty, about eight o'clock. I'm working with him until about two, three in the morning. And then I get up and I'm doing that all, you know, practically every day. Um, the real reason I didn't jump in at first, because I was, I was getting a lot of money. I was, you know, I was, when I left, when I left there in 90, the late 95, early 96, I think it was, I was making already like $50,000. Um, nobody around me was making that much money. Good, good, so, good, legit you know, <laughs> Yes. So even though I wanted to jump in with him and, and, and do the whole FUBU thing, uh, 100%, he couldn't offer me anything. And I had a young daughter at the time, and her mother, you know, was on my back about, you know, I'll take you to child support if you don't take care of this child. And, so that, that kind of was just ringing in my ear because I never wanted to go down that route of not being able to take care of my child. So um, around 95, some things were going on at the job and, you know, um, I was having some some issues with some of the residents, well, one resident really, and she just was making it a way bigger issue about nothing. Um, she was in the wrong, but she was trying to act like I was the person that was doing all the, you know, all this stuff to her. Went and told the, uh, the wrote a letter, I think, or called the, the my, my um, executive branch office and told them that I was selling cocaine in the office. And I'm like, oh my God, what is this lady talking about? So what happened after that is my, my vice president came down and she started hovering around the office. And I'm like, what are you doing around here? You work in Jersey. Like, why are you in Harlem every yeah. day? So then she expressed to me that, you know, she had some concerns about me selling cocaine in her office. And I'm like, listen, you know, I, I value this job. I want to move up. I'm not selling drugs in this office. But, you know, she didn't believe me. And then she just was just on me. And then 
Damon, you know, Damon was like, <laughs> like that, that little fly on the wall, like, come on over here, man, we're going to be entrepreneurs. So I, I finally, you know, got to the point where I said, you know what, I, uh, I'll let them fire me, because if they fire me, then I can get some unemployment and I can continue, you know, I can get a decent amount of unemployment where I can still pay my rent and then also take care of my daughter. And um, and then that's how that, that's how that departure went. And then I dove into... Uh, you know, I remember he gave us this book called Think and Grow Rich. And um, there was one, there's this one paragraph that really stuck out to me. It was, you never know how, how close you come to success because you often quit and fail. And I knew we had something because from the time we started until 95, it was just progress, progress, progress. And I was like, wow, you know, if we can just turn this corner. So Damon said, the only way we're going to turn the corner is everybody quit their jobs and give this 100%. But he wasn't giving up no money. So mm -hmm. I was like, um, so at that point, I just got to, the, you know, to that tipping point when I was like, you know what? I'm going to leap out here on faith and, and see what happens. And if worse comes, you know, much comes to worse, I can still go back and get another job in my profession somewhere else. And then that's where it started. So what were, what were you all selling originally? Hats, T-shirts, um, things like we, that. We were, we were selling these ugly, these ugly ass hats. They're called tie top hats. Um, it was really popular. Was that with the little string on the top? Yes, like, it was. Little cap bow with the string and <laughs> it was like a, we call them snap caps in Detroit. Yeah, it was like a sleeve, and, and it just laid down on your head, and all the rappers started wearing them, and then, you know, um, and then we started doing hockey jerseys and T-shirts and. Uh, sweatshirts and and back then it was basically just buying a sweatshirt cutting the the, the, the label out and putting your own label <laughs> in you know we we were amateurs you know at best um so at that time we were selling those you know those hats and then we started making regular hats because i said damon I, I wear baseball caps i don't wear these droopy hats that's just not me so we started making regular hats and and, and that's what we started with just hats and t-shirts and, and hockey jerseys and sweatshirts. Was the plan when you all started, was it to, was it to become a global brand or is it, we just want to make a lot of money doing what we doing? Like what, what was the thought? You know, the thought process at that time was, Hey, we want to, we want to um, at least have a store, you know, if we can, if we can, you know, have this clothing line and open up a FUBU store. And, you know, that was the only plan at that time was just basically open up a store. Um, one of the, one of the, the key elements that really helped us and we didn't realize at the time was the black expo. Mm -hmm. So we went around doing all these black expos. We would take a few, maybe a thousand t-shirts and we would sell out in a day. And you know, the black expo is like three, four days long. Yeah. So Damon would take a day to go out, get more shirts, go back to the house, sew up everything. And then we'll be sitting at the booths and like, um, we ran out, but we'll have some more stuff tomorrow. Make sure you come back tomorrow. So when the people came back the next day, you know, we sold out whatever, whatever else we had. And that just continued from, from expo to expo. Um, and, and one thing that we noticed that when we came back year after year was people would tell us, man, I can't find this shirt anywhere. I'm glad you guys are here. You know, I only bought two last time and, and, you know, people were going crazy over it. They give me 10 shirts. Like, that's how they were trying to, you know, they were trying to, to buy them at, from us at the time. So, of course, we did well at the expo. But 
doing those expos planted the seeds all around the country for us. You know, not only in our neighborhood where people knew what we were doing, but in other neighborhoods like Philly and DC and Atlanta and, you know, and, and you know, of course we did the New York Expo. Um, so that when we finally got our deal, we came out the gate running yeah. because of that. Now, what was your role early on when you once you left your job and you're going to these different expos? Like, what was what were you in charge of? So I was in charge of packing. Okay. I would pack up the orders and and you know Damon Damon would take the orders on the phone, you know, buy all the fabrics, get all that stuff. Him and Jay Jay was uh into the fabrics as well and the colors and things like that, and it would go out and and um put that together and then Carl would actually be the he was the delivery guy he would put it in the truck and take it to different places and drop them off um you know at different stores or whatever that we were in at in the beginning but yeah I was I was just in charge of uh in charge of uh packing packing the boxes and thinking back to those days you know that was way before uh venture capital was a thing that was before um crowdfunding, all of those different things. Um, I imagine you didn't have lines of credit, and but you had some relationships. How did you develop and cultivate them to be able to make those moves? Because you got to have money to, to, to buy the, the materials and to ship the materials, and you all weren't working. Yeah, so that went, Damon, you know, he had a credit card at the time. Um, so he would buy stuff on a credit card and when he get, you know, he would sell some things, he would pay off the credit card. But to get to that point where we needed, we needed money to actually produce a lot of the products. So um, to go back a little bit around 1992, Jay had came out of the, uh, out of the service and he had gotten into a car accident or something like that where he had received a, um, you know, a, a large amount of money. So he told Damon, like, listen, you know, um, I want to help, you know, fashion has always been my thing. Um, and Jay was, Jay was always our go-to guy because he was, he was the guy that was really into fashion that really wanted to push the envelope. You know, when we wanted to do t-shirts and, and, and just hats, he was talking about doing jeans and jean suits and all kind of different things. And we're looking at him, <laughs> like, we're looking at him like, man, we don't have money to do that. Like, but it was good because he he broadened our minds in 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 a way where we we weren't thinking about that like that. So, um, so you all were the the business people, but he was the more fashion business. Yeah, thinking about trends and collections yeah. and okay. Yeah. He would he would actually know about the trends and know how to go online and find all of this stuff. And you know we we didn't we had no idea what this stuff was, um, but. He gave the he gave Damon some money in the beginning to to help out. So him and Damon was basically partners at the time. You know, I was still doing my thing. Um, I wasn't really in it. I would help out, and you know, Damon would promise, "Hey, if this thing takes off, I'll make sure you're straight." And you know, the whole that whole story. Um, so by the time we actually got the deal, Damon had went to maybe about twenty five, thirty banks, and got denied on every bank. And then he finally was able to, um, you know, he was just sitting down. And, you know, I guess he was a little frustrated. His mother, love her to death, um, she's like an OG. So she said, listen, you know, take, the, take some money out the house um, and use it for, for your business. So one day Damon comes downstairs and, hey, man, I just got a, a, a approved for 100000 Yo, we, 
We good. We good. Now, take into a fact that none of us had fashion experience. So we're buying all these fabrics, putting fabrics together. Paying you know, retail remember, prices. Yeah, you know, I see. I remember somebody smoking one day with what something on, and and the ash fell on it, and it caught fire, and we were like, "What the hell?" So the 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 material was 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 uh, flammable. We didn't even know it, you know. So we kind of ran through that hundred thousand dollars in about six months, because you know I know you know that book that David puts out, "The Power of Broke." Yeah. Right. So when when you don't have any money, you're way more creative. You know, you you find ways to do things, and you find ways to to barter and and but being young, you know, in our twenties and having a hundred thousand dollars and trying to start a business, we just start throwing all the money at everything. You know, we're going here, we're doing this, we're buying this, and <clears throat> we're buying all these machines and we're doing, and it didn't really, it didn't really, it helped a little bit, but it didn't really help us a lot because the money ran out so quick. So once the money ran out, we were still at a good point where we were like, okay, this can actually still go on if we just had a couple of dollars and we didn't know where to turn. You know, the banks wasn't giving us no money. We just used this hundred thousand dollars that we had to pay back. So we wound up sitting down and he said, listen, he talked talk to his mother again. And his mother said, Hey, put out an ad. Um, no, I guess we was, we were telling her we were going to um, this show called the magic show out in Vegas. Now I couldn't go to the magic show because I couldn't get that week off from work. So I sent my cousin down there to help out. And then when they came back, they were like, yo, we rich, man. We rich. We got, <laughs> we got 300,000 in orders, man. We rich. It's go yo, we go. It's going to take us there. Then reality kicks in because we said, where are we going to get the money to produce $300,000 worth of clothes? So back to square one. So his mother says, why don't you take out an ad in the paper in the New York Times for, um, got a million dollars in orders, need financing. And uh, Damon said, well, I don't have a million dollars in orders. I only have 300,000. She said, you have a million dollars in orders and you need mm -hmm. financing. So we put that, uh, put that ad out and then all kind of crazy people started calling. So thinking back to <clears throat> the 90s, you know, right around the time you all launched, ooh, well, I was a teenager. And so, you know, as a teenager, you are in tune with everything. And I, I feel like, you know, I'm biased. You know, I feel like the 90s was probably like the greatest decade, thinking about sports, thinking about fashion, yep. music, and all of those things overlapped, you mm -hmm. know? And thinking about those companies that were around at the time, you had Carl Kanai, you had Cross Colors, uh, later down the line, you had Dada, you had Nietzsche, you had all of those different brands how did FUBU kick the door down? Because it was like, it was neck and neck, you know, in my teenage perception. Mm -hmm. It seemed like all of these brands were just kind of going back and forth in the Soros Magazine, XXL. You know, you're looking at this, you're seeing these brands popping up and it's like FUBU just shot out and just ran in front of the pack. Like what, what was it that, that sent you all just like on this trajectory that you know, to the point where no one else could really keep up and then some actually just went away. Yeah, well, I think it was more of our relationships because early on, we started forging a lot of relationships, you know, even even around 91, 92, 93, when we was, you know, had six or seven shirts total, you know, we would put them on Nas, we would put them on Busta Rhymes, you know, 
um, these guys, Fredro Starr. And I think Fredro Starr, to me, you know, was the, the catapult for us because he's the one who actually helped us get our deal. And I remember sitting home one day and he came by and said, hey, I'm doing this TV show. No, he called and said, yo, I'm doing this TV show. Um, I want to come by and get some, some shirts. So we were like, all right, cool, come on through. So he came through, picked up a couple of shirts, did the um, New York Undercover, and he wound up getting killed in our shirt on New York Undercover. So for us, you know, it was a side shot. It was a, a, a top shot. You know, it was like a slow motion shot. So that one scene might have been like 15 seconds mm -hmm. or 10 seconds, but it felt like a 30-second commercial. That's fun. a commercial, absolutely. You know, so... Um, and prior to that, when I told you a lot of people was calling us, you know, we had a lot of mobsters call us. We had uh, a lot of the snakes call us in the business that we later learned on, learned that who they were once we got into the industry. Like, yeah, we remember that guy called us, offering us $10 million over the phone. You know, now he's over here robbing and stealing other people's companies. Um, so what happened was, um, I know Samsung had reached out. And uh, Damon said, listen, I'm going to go down and I'm going to have this conversation and see what see what's up. So he went down there and um, they met. And um, he, uh, once, you know, once they met, he came back and was like, um, you know, we talked and they said they're going to call us and we'll see, you know, what goes, what, what happens. And they never called and we kept going. We were like, okay, well, let's just keep doing what we're doing. Around that same time, um, you know, we always used to watch Video Music Box. That was like the the, the go-to, you know, that was the go-to for us as opposed to MTV at that time. Mm -hmm. um, so, Hype Williams used to work at uh, Video Music Box. You know, he started, you know, at the bottom and then he worked his way up. So, around the time when we were trying to uh, launch our brand, Hype started shooting all these videos. So, him and Damon were really cool. So he would call Damon and be like, hey, these are the videos I have this month. And he would put them up on a calendar in the, in, in the, um, in the house. And we're like, okay, we got to make sure we got product for this. And when I mean make sure, it was make sure the product, the seven shirts that we have are clean and ready to go <laughs> because we didn't, you know, we didn't have a lot of stuff at that time. So um, I, I think it was more of the relationships that we formed early on. Um, and they were real relationships because one thing we noticed is what it was like, you don't wait till somebody gets hot to get to know them. You know, you right. see somebody coming up the ladder and you like them, Hey, reach out. And, and I think that's what we did. So it wasn't like these artists said, you know, once I became a platinum artist, then these fool guys came around and wanted to dress me. It was like, yo, when I was in the hood and I didn't even have a car yet, then I just did my first video. These guys were on set saying, Hey, Here's some clothes, wear my clothes. And I think that once we got in there, it got our deal, um, like I said, that Black Expo was the key for us because it planted the seeds in all these different states so that when we got our deal and we put our stuff out, it blew out. It just blew out. Um, and around that same time, we were obviously, you know, we had obviously shot the, the, the ad with LL Cool J. Mm -hmm. Um, and it was funny with him as well because he kept saying, Man, we got these ugly ass purple shirts, man. I don't wear no purple, like, <laughs> like 
you know, just put it on. And he had this long conversation with us and was like, what you guys, I see the determination in you guys, but what you guys need to do is you need to find somebody, celebrity that you can go out and that will endorse your brand, you know, because I'm doing Nike right now. I got a deal on the table with Nike. I got a deal on the table with Timberland. And we were like, well, you need to put FUBU on that list. Maybe we can, you know, he was like, he looked at us like, y'all crazy. I got these ugly purple shirts. Y'all want me to be, a, you know, the, the spokesperson for this. And we just stayed on him and stayed on him. And then next thing you know, we came back to the house and Damon was like, you know, who can we, who can we get? Who can we get to, to, um, to, to be our spokesperson? So I was like, why don't we get LL? I mean, we mm-hmm. know him. We've been, we've been traveling with him. I mean, he doesn't know us, know us like that, but he knows us well enough that he knows we're from the neighborhood. Maybe he'll look out. So we asked him and God willing, he said, yes. And he said, you know, if you guys ever make something out of this, make sure you come back and take care of me. So uh, when we got our first checks, I remember giving him his first check. And he was like, wow. He was like, man, we making this amount of money from clothes? Listen, tell Damon, I need a red Ferrari. (laughs) I was like, bro, you just got the down payment for the red Ferrari right there. Like, you know, that's free money. You you could just, he said, no, no, no. Tell Damon I want him to buy me a red Ferrari. But you know, just going on from there, you know, developing the relationship with LL was key because, you know, early on, he was like, okay, these guys are on, they're doing their thing. You know, I seen them hustling in the hood, now they're in the Empire State Building. I'm gonna help these guys out. And he wore it on all his TV shows, his movies. He wore it visiting the president, President Clinton, he was wearing He, he was FUBU. You know, he so was FUBU. He, he helped us out. In a major way. What do you think that that was the point where you felt like you made it, or, or were there was there another point um, in in business where you felt like you all had made it? Like what? I think I think it was a couple of things because you know from us going from the hood to Empire State Building on the sixty sixth floor, we were like, man, we made it, you know. And I actually wasn't on the sixty sixth floor at first. We wanted forty forty eighth floor. And then we built the office upstairs and then and then moved upstairs. But we thought we made it once we got to the Empire State Building. But then, um, you know, other things started happening where, you know, we started getting recognized in, in, in the industry. Um, we started getting awards. And we were like, okay, this is cool. But then we got that first, first really big check. And I was looking at my, I, I looked at my check and I was like, it was like a half, it was like over half a million dollars. I was like, oh man, like, I didn't know what to do. I went out and bought jewelry. I bought a house. <laughs> you know, I told my mother I was going to buy that house. So I bought her her house. I didn't even buy myself a house because I, I was, I was just so, uh, you know, so, so interested in making sure that she got her house. Um, and, you know, a couple of cars I bought and, you know, I kind of went through that early stage. Of, of buying all that excess stuff you don't need. Um, and then once I got that out the, out the way, man, it was, it, was, uh, it was smooth sailing from there. But then we meet Nelson Mandela. Now I really think we made it. I'm like, yo, I'm, I'm dining with presidents. I'm, uh, you know, I'm at dinner with President Clinton. I'm, I'm meeting President Nelson Mandela at his home in Africa. So it was a lot of key points that really kept saying, like, we made it. And then even after that, we opened up 200 stores overseas. 
So then it was like, oh man, we really made it. We got 200 stores overseas. So it was a couple of different key points that, that um, you know, let us know that we really made it. What would you change if you could, if you could change anything about your FUBU journey? If you can go back and switch some things around. What, is there anything you would switch or change? I think, I think the one thing I would have done, um, and, and I don't, it's not a regret, it's just that I didn't think about myself as an individual and the power that I had within myself at the time. Um, I had went down to uh, to a casting for, for BT, and uh, it was for a new show called 106 in Park. Oh, yeah. So yeah. I went down there, and, um, and I wound up getting the job. And I said to myself, you know, can I do both of these things? You know, it, it was it was that that time where you're supposed to take that leap of faith, but you you question yourself. And I said to myself, I, I I don't know if I should do this because I don't know what's going on with my with the FUBU business because I'll be over here at BT. But then thinking back on it now, my guys would have been straight. They would have ran in and told me what was going on, but I just felt like I would be missing out of this this moment that we all had together that I wanted to be a part of and not bail out. But when I look back at it, it's like, you should have took that job. Cause it would have been me and me and free, mm. you know? <laughs> and then I remember Stephen Hill going back down to read for him. And, and he's like, man, you got the job, man. Like, this is what to start. We could talk about contracts and everything. And I was like, all right, I'll call you back. Let me, let me just think about it for a couple of days. And then when I went back, I thought about it. And then I was like, nah, I'm not going to take it. But that's one thing that I, that's the only thing I think that I would change. Everything else, man, was, it was a ride, man, but it was a great ride. And it still is a great ride because we're still doing it. So beyond FUBU, um, and then right along with your point, thinking back about yourself, what would you tell a young Keith Perrin in the 90s about entrepreneurship? Um... You know, when you're young, you don't, um, sometimes you think about business in, in, in a sense, but you don't think about it as a whole. You know, you, you, you're doing business, so you think your 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 business is fine. Um, but I, I would tell the younger self to be more of a businessman, you know, because back then I was, even though I was in business, we were having so much fun. It was more about going out and partying, and and you know, even though we were mar- it was it was really marketing for the brand. But at that time, um, I felt like if I could have read a little bit more about financial literacy, um, you know, because um, I was always nervous about letting people in. You know, I, I, I sat down with so many people and I had so many stories about how people screwed them over and their managers and their accountants. And so I was really standoffish and, and I wish I wasn't so standoffish. I did, I did well for myself. I wasn't somebody who needed, you know, Ferraris or, you know, um, Bugattis or anything, any crazy million dollar cars like that. So, you know, I, I'm pretty basic when it comes to that, you know, um, but I just think that I would definitely learn how to 
be more about business and financial literacy and, and, and knowing how to and where to place my money. Uh, I would have definitely got into the stock market a little bit. I remember, I remember this funny story. I, I had about, I think I had about $150,000 set aside for the stock market. And I was like, okay, I'm gonna take this 150. I'm gonna jump into this thing. Had a meeting with this guy that everybody referred. You know, I, I don't even remember his name now, but he was a guy that everybody was using. And the first thing that came out of his mouth when he sat down with us was, telling us about everybody else's business and how they was broke and how they was this and how they was that red flag. I was like, okay, I can't, I, I'm sorry. I can't, I can't use this guy. I don't want to, you know, if he's telling me about somebody else's business, yeah, he going to yeah. be telling somebody else about my business. And about two, three months after that, he got locked up for um, trade of fraud or he was, he was basically stealing people's money. Mm-hmm. So I was just like, eh, but I think that would be um, something because even now, you know, I'm I'm learning and I continue to learn every day. You know, continue reading books about you know how to how to make sure your credit is straight, what to do, this, that, and third, so that I know that I can keep you know giving advice to others and how you know, like I stay on my little brother and sister about their financial literacy all the time, <laughs> and they like, do you talk about anything else with us? And I'm like. Listen, you know, you're 35 and 32. I, I want you guys to be straight, you know, and, they, and they're getting there. But, you know, you, you always got to get that little monkey off your back. And, and sometimes it takes people longer than others. Um, you know, we don't grow up, you know, being five years old. I was watching a movie today where, um, not a movie, a show today where a girl, you know, bought her house at 20 years old. And I was seeing, and I was saying, I was telling my wife, I was like, see, because her parents was talking to her at five years old and ingraining that into her yeah. whole life. We don't have that, and 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 it's and it's nobody's fault, you know. It's just the way we brought up. We're, we're dodging too many other obstacles. It's, it's mm-hmm. hey, don't don't get don't let you um the police put this number on your chest. Hey, watch out for this person. Uh, you know, somebody asks you for a light, you ain't got a light, and you know it's just all these other things that you you're trying to navigate through the world at that at that, at a young age. Sometimes you know, especially if your parents don't have that, you know what yeah. I mean. So it's it's, it's, hard, it's hard to envision what you don't see. Yeah. So if, if you know, we had that, and we can instill that in our in our kids a little bit more, so that when they turn twenty or twenty five, they're buying their first house with their own money, you know, things like that. And and, and that's kind of what I want to leave for, you know, my my daughter and my grandson, and you know, and, and my family. That's real. I appreciate that. And, you know, that's essentially why I started this podcast. Um, I felt like there were too many lessons that I had to learn and too many failures that I didn't necessarily have to experience. You know, you're going to have some failures and experience some things, but I felt some things I could have avoided by having conversations, by having a mentor. Um, You know, like on one side, my dad was a banker. So the financial piece that was ingrained in the beginning but then when I wanted to go and become an entrepreneur, all of that, I had to learn. You know, my dad was a career person and my stepmom's a career person. But then when I went to start my business, I didn't have that blueprint. So right. I fumbled and failed a lot and you know, lost a lot of money on some contracts, left money on the table. And so, you know, that's the point of the League of Leaders is to share those stories and experiences with people in a relative real time. So you're not 60 years old and now I'm talking to you about what you did 30 years ago. It's like, this is what we did 20 years ago and what we're still doing now. And how can I, how can I show you how to trip over a 
a different rock, not the same one I tripped over. And so mm -hmm. that's that's what I would love to see more of in our community, just storytelling, also sharing that advice, staying on top of people about that, their finances, uh, whatever it is. We just need people to be consistent and vigilant about that within our community and be protective because if you don't see it, you don't see yourself in it and you don't have the blueprint, so it's not important to you. Yep, and, and that's why that's why I've been to a lot of kids. Like my, my thing, you know, my give back is the kids. You know, a lot of people like to talk to corporations or, you know, large arenas and do all that stuff. Just just sit me with a bunch of kids and I want to tell them straight from the hip what's going on. And I resonate with them because I talk their language. Like they see it. When well, as soon as I come, like, you know, I'm being a little professional with you right here. But, <laughs> but when I talk to the kids, you know, I just shoot it from the hip, man. And it, and it resonates with them because, you know, with me, I had I had a couple of OGs like, you know, I, I wasn't always a, 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 you know, on my best behavior. You know, I always wanted to go out and, you know, growing up where we grew up, it was it was, you either was a rapper, or you was a drug dealer. You know, people went to work, but you saw them struggling, so you didn't want to struggle. You wanted to be like everybody else who was just getting it. And I tried to sell drugs for about two weeks, and I was like. I don't want to go to jail. You know, I, I just kept hearing that thing in my mind. Don't let them put the number on you. Don't let them be. If you get that number, you ain't going to be, you ain't going to amount to nothing. You ain't going to be able to get a job. You know, you, you, you're going to be, um, or if you go to jail, you're going to be sitting in jail because I ain't got no money to get you out of jail. So those things just kept resonating with me. And I was like, I don't, I don't you know, I, I'll, I'll take the long road. You know, I'll go another way. I'll get a good job, you know, and, and that, that's why, that's why I started working at, you know, housing urban development then moving on to nhp but um and i thought i was on my way i was like okay um you know i'm, I'm property manager now next the next one up is district manager and the next one up is regional manager and the next one up is vice president so you you know, I, I just kept saying that you know and that was what 30 years ago so you could imagine where i would have been right now if i would have stayed there but um but you know Growing up, man, and, and, and where we was coming from, you only saw a couple of different, um, you know, examples. And 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 I give a lot of kudos to to uh, Russell Simmons because Russell Simmons, when he started Jeff Jam, he didn't realize the impact he had on his community um, as a whole because we were watching him. And he, he, didn't, he didn't know who we were, you know, but we were watching this young black man from around the way, you know what I'm saying? Because we can literally go on Hollis or Jamaica Avenue at any given time, run into Run DMC, run into LL Cool J, Salt and Pepper, Eric B and Rakim, like, you know, um, Tribe Called Quest. Like these were all people from our community. So we would see them on the regular and we were like, man, we want to be like these guys. These guys have cars, you know, they're doing it legit. And, and you know, but we couldn't rap. Like, I, I wish I could rap to, to this day. I still be trying to get my little brother to, listen, write me something and show me how to rap this thing. Cause I just want to see if I can do it just to, it's not a career move, but you know, I just never could rap. And, you know, so when we got to that age, like I said, when we got to that age um, and, 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 you know, Damon's kind of always had this entrepreneurial spirit, like, you know, whether it was some, some crooked things he was doing back in the days as an entrepreneur, um, 
or, you know, just his thought process. Because I remember him coming to me one day. It's like, listen, you know, I'm going to start doing a dollar van. You know, what you doing? Ride with me. You know, I need you for a couple of hours. I'll give you a couple of dollars. And I would sit there with him all day for 12 hours and ride up and down, back and forth to Rockaway, you know, doing his van service. And then um, after that, it was the FUBU thing. You know what I mean? So he's always had that had that entrepreneurial spirit in him. And um, and then when he introduced it to us, like, listen, we can, we can have our own business. You know, we can open up a clothing store, and, you know. And we, like I said earlier, we had no idea the level it was going to go, you know. And, and we were just blessed that we came in at the right time. Fast forward beyond FUBU and, and it taking off, um, you've worked with brands such as Kappa, Ted Baker, Kuji, Married to the Mob, Heatherette, Drunken Monkey. Uh, what types of work have you done with those brands? So with me, um, they call me the people person. So I'm able to go around people and just kind of bond with people and, and start kicking it with them and, and getting to know them. Um, so when I first started, I was the packing guy. But when we went up and got into the Empire State Building, it was like, okay, what are our roles right now? You know, yeah, we're going to sit down and be on, you know, be the people who decide on what product goes out and all of that stuff. But it's other, you know, there's other roles we need to play. So I was like, well, you know, I don't mind continue doing what we were doing prior to us getting this deal. I'll go on the video sets. I'll bring the clothes down there. I'll talk to the people. I'll get them to wear it. And, and then I just kind of fell into that role um, of getting the, 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 the clothes out to the right people. And then I was always a fashionable dude, so I knew how to put clothes together. I knew how, to, knew how I liked to, to wear things. So what I did was I figured out, okay, if there's a group like Jagged Edge, okay, Jagged Edge kind of wears all the same kind of, you know, kind of clothes. I could give them the same outfit maybe in different colors or I can give them all the same outfit or I can give the twins an outfit and the other two, you know, Wingo and, and, and uh, Kyle uh, an outfit to match. You know what I'm saying? Like, I always tried to like pick and, pick and, pick and play on, on, on the designs on me on the, on the product. So later on, I, I, I developed a niche for it. I, I, I literally dived in and said, okay, all right, what does Kevin like? Let me, let me go through what Kevin, you know, what, he, what he's wearing, what colors he's wearing, what colors he's not wearing, how large is he wearing his shirts? You know, because I had people who were a 3X that wanted a 6X. You know, they was a 36 and wanted a 42. <laughs> so I had to literally figure out them, you know, and get to know them personally. And then I would have those conversations on set. Like, yo, you wear button-ups? Nah, I don't do button-ups. I don't do polos. All I do is tees and you know, I don't do no red. I don't do, and it just clicked. So every time I would go in and I would, you know, I would learn how to dress the artist and it just became my thing. So I just took that from, from FUBU to Kuji to Kappa to, you know, when I would go on set, I would take all these brands sometimes and then just take it with me and go on set. And, and, and put it out there. So I just became the, the product person that really got all the product out in the movies and, and, you know. One thing that I'm getting from you that I, and I also got from reading your, your bio, um, 
is you are big on relationships. It was very important early, early on when you guys didn't have the cash to uh, front some of the projects. We got to find ways to be creative and certain people to call and thinking about um, some of the examples you just mentioned now with these other brands and getting to know these individuals and make sure they have the right, the right apparel that matched their, their aesthetic, their flow, all of that. What, what do you feel are the most important elements of relationship management? Um, just being real, man. I think, I think people just, just connected with me because I'm real. I wasn't, you know, I, I'm, just, I'm very humble. I'm not, I'm not one of those with my, with my head stuck up my butt. Um, and, and I think realness just comes across, like, especially when you're dealing with certain, certain artists, they could tell, like, yo, you know, because I got relationships with, you know, Nelly, Bun, um, even, even um, uh, Slim and Trader Truth and Jay Prince, like, all my guys in Houston, um, Buster. Like, I, I could just go on and on and on. Like, people just, we just click. It's, it's you know, when they see you, even when I see Puff, like, you know, I remember flying on a private jet with him and Jennifer Lopez years ago to the Oscars, from the Oscars back to New York. Um, and, you know, every time I see Puff, I don't see him all the time, but every time I see him, it's just like, Puff, what up? He look at me, oh, what's up, bro? You good? Everything good? Like, and it's just all love. Like, I've, I've always had that in a lot, a lot of circles. Like, like, Jagged Edge, like, those are my brothers. Like, those are, like, my brothers I don't have, you know what I mean? Jermaine Dupree and, you know, just, I can just go on and on and on. All these cats are just people that I know I have no problems with. I never had any problems with anybody. Um, Cause I've always just kept it a hundred, a hundred. And, 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 and I think when you're, when you're just real with people, it comes across, they see it immediately. You know, they can tell who's, like I'm not a hanger on type of dude. I don't want to come around your your crew and just be hanging around you. And I'm not none of that. So I, I always have my own stuff, my own car, everything. Like I'm not a freeloader type of person. So when you see me, you know I'm not coming with my hand out or anything like that. And I think they, people just they just resonate with that. So what I'm hearing is you're attentive. You get to know people, get to see what their interests are. <clears throat> but beyond that, you're authentic. Just keeping it 100 at all times and that those two things being consistent have worked for you yeah because even even people say yo you know they'll see me somewhere i mean anywhere in any city any hood and they're like where's your security i said i ain't got no security what you mean <laughs> i don't need no security and they're like you don't need security bro you fubu man i'm like bro, i'm good trust me because wherever i'm at and whoever I'm with, they know, you know, and it's not even like, yo, you're going to hold me down. It's like, yo, that's my man over there. Don't mess with him. You know what I mean? Like, he cool. Leave him alone. So even even, even the people that I've known and I grew up with prior to me even being, you know, a part of FUBU, they always say to me, like, yo, you, you, you never change, bro. Like, when I see people, I don't beep the horn. If I know you, I'm not beeping the horn at you while I'm flying by you. I could stop if I if unless I'm flying somewhere to a meeting or I'm late for something. If I'm just cruising through the neighborhood and I see somebody I know, I pull over, yo, what's up? What's good? And talk to them about 10, 15 minutes, and that goes a long way. Because even all my all my all the hood dudes that I know that's in the hood, hood, like really in the hood, 
I can go anywhere and they'd be like, yo, I'm gonna make sure y'all don't mess with Keith. He cool. You know what I'm saying? Like, and, and it's just always been like that because I, I take that that time out to to you know sit down and reach back or catch need something or you know, I, I I'm past the money part though, you know, because I, my nickname is I ain't got it. Because everybody, everybody be in your pockets. So once I got past that, like I'll do anything to help you. You know, need a couple dollars here, but you start talking about I need ten, fifteen, twenty thousand dollars. I know you ain't paying me back, and I know I ain't trying to give it to you like that. Yeah. You know, but other than that, man, everybody that I that I connect with just be on some some real real stuff. So let's talk briefly about your latest venture, Google Radio. Um, I, I see some of the posts on Facebook. I log in. I see things going on, broadcasts, and and um, one thing that I did like is that you said that you just weren't satisfied with what was being played on the radio. Um, and I think that's important that when you have a skill or the ability to create, when you see something that does not resonate with you, and that's exactly what you did. You didn't like what was out there, so you launched Google Radio. It's going on what five years now? Yeah, yeah. This is our fifth year, man. We just been um. We just been, uh, just, just, well, when we launched it, my frustration came out of, um, of, uh, just turning on the radio because back in the days I used to, when I used to travel to LA all the time, I used to get out, you know, go to Beverly Hills and stay in Beverly Hills and the ride from the airport to Beverly Hills, I would hear everything. I would hear rap, East Coast rap, West Coast rap, Southern rap, R&B, um, uh, just all kind of music from all different parts. And, and, and I used to be like, wow, this is, you know, I like the way they play out the music that they play out here. They should do this more often in New York. Six, seven years ago, uh, my partner, Demetrius Brown, um, came to me. He's, he's been doing radio almost 20 years. Um, but he came to me and was like, brother, you ever think about doing a radio station? And I was like, no, not necessarily. I mean, I would love to because I'm tired of hearing all the stuff that's on the radio. I would love to put out something that we could put our own playlist out. So he stayed on me. He was like, listen, this is where radio was going now. It was going digital. So if we jump on it now, you know, this is, you know, we, we'd be ahead of the curve. And I was like, okay, cool. He came back to me. Hey, you ready to start this radio station? Nah, not right now, brother. I got too much going on. So finally, we sat down and had a heart to heart and he said to me, he said to me, he said, listen, you know, if we don't start soon, you know, all these big companies are going to jump on board and, you know, we're going to be behind the gun. So my concerns was I didn't have a station. I didn't have a place to put a station. I didn't know where I was going to be doing interviews and everything and, and all of that stuff. So I just said to you, I said to myself, I said, you know what, let me just start. And if I start, it it make me get on 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 board and and get to uh you know to where I need to be as far as having a station or whatever you know whatever else I need and then um I had the 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 comfort of using one of the rooms in the office as you know after work as the basically as a little setup studio so I put everything in there and then I started with this small board I mean I had this little audio board no bigger than a, a notebook um. And, you know, he's in, he's in North Carolina, so he opened a North Carolina arm and, 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 you know, promotes it down there. And I'm in New York doing it up here. And then before I knew it, he, um, we, we 
he just jumped in, man. And and once I got into it, I started to like it. And then I started to love it. I was like, wow, this is something different. I can control what 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 um, news I put on the air. I control what music I put on the air. I can control who I put on the air. You know, I can help build out personalities and host and, and get them to a le- a ne- another level. And I was like, wow, this is, this is, this is cool. Like, you know, and after a while, man, I, it, I just dug, dove um, head first. And once I got in it, uh, I, like I said, I started to love it. And now I'm like, I'm, I'm just so ecstatic because my numbers are up 25%. My listeners are up, you know, 30%. Um, I just, we just signed a, uh, deal with uh, iHeart last year. So we're on iHeart Radio. We just um, signed a new deal with Radio.com. So we're in partnership with them on, on Radio.com. So now we have two of the biggest platforms of um, music, radio um, music that we, that we, you know, that we're on right now. So, That's dope. You know, That's dope. aside from, from our, our platform, aside from, you know, um, the app, aside from, all the websites I got it on, you know, the FUBU website, the FUBU uh, Watch website, FUBU South African website, you know, so I'm, I'm just building it up, man. And during this pandemic, uh, I remember when it, when the pandemic hit, we were just turning the corner, starting to make money. And I was like, wow, as soon as we start to make money, here come this thing here, you know? But then I noticed that, okay, the money stopped because everybody trying to figure out what's going on. But my numbers are up. I have more listeners than I've ever had. So I'm just going to take that and I'm going to take this time in this, this pandemic, do a little reconstruction and, and come out of this thing, try to come out of this thing in the race as opposed to, you know, just sitting back and then, you know, not doing anything. So, I mean, it, it's been wonderful for me. It's just my only hiccup is trying to get people to understand that we do have a radio station. And I think that's, uh, that's one of the things, even with FUBU, people are like, oh, FUBU back out. Is FUBU back out? Oh, FUBU got a radio station? So it's just getting people to know that. And I, I was telling the president the other night um, of Phi Beta Sigma, I was like, listen, if you guys can help me promote this and get this out, then I, I'll be I'll be good. Like, that's all I need for you guys to, to help me. What advice do you have for aspiring entrepreneurs who one may be working a job and they, they got their business. Um, and then two, for current entrepreneurs who are working for themselves and they're looking to take it, take their business to the next level. What are your, what are your nuggets of advice? Well, I, I think this, this answer will work for both, both questions. Um, do your homework. You know, a lot of times people want to start something and they have these great ideas and people are in the mindset of, hey, I have a great idea. If I could just take it to this person or take it to that person, then I can get it off the ground. But what they don't realize is, one, you're leaving your destiny in someone else's hands. Two, you're definitely giving up a percentage of your company, right? Three, you might be giving up too much of a percentage depending on what type of deal you work out with, who you work it out with, and then you wind up becoming an employee in your own business, right? Um... But going back to the homework, I just know a lot of people have a lot of ideas. And then once I start breaking things down to them, like, you know, have you tried this or you have you tried that? Or, 
you know, I, I give you a perfect example. My, my brother-in-law wants to do this whole skit, this comedy skit. And every time I speak to him, he's, oh, I'm waiting for lights. I'm waiting for this. I'm waiting for that. And I'm, and I'm like, brother, all you need is your phone. That's all you need. Somebody can stand across from you with the flashlight on their phone and use you and you use your phone and create whatever you want to create. Stop waiting for the perfect moment because I'm telling you from experience. I if I would have if I would have said that about Fubu Radio, I'd probably still be waiting to start Fubu Radio. So just start and then as you grow, you know, advance your, your technology or whatever it is that you can advance. Um, but I think uh, also a, a, a person, an entrepreneur working a job and trying to start his own business, keep your job because your job is going to pay for your business. And people don't realize that. They say to themselves, oh, I got to quit because I got to give this 100%. Yeah, but if you quit and you have to give this 100% and you have no funds to give it to, you know, put into it, then what are you going to do then? Now you don't have a job and your business has failed. So, um, and, and be persistent, you know, don't let anybody get you off your track. You know, when we started, everyone around us said, we wouldn't do it. We couldn't do it. Everybody, you know, except our close people who, who believed in us, but all of our friends and associates and all these people, you know, it was too high of a thing that we would never achieve. And we sat there and we were like, okay, that's your thoughts. All right. I'm going to prove you wrong because I believe. And, and as long as you believe in what you're doing, um, you'll be fine. And and even even with the research, I was saying, do the, the the research and the homework is finding out if there's anything out there that's similar to yours prior to you jumping in it. You know, um, find out if you know what is it going to take. What you think is going to take to 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 get your stuff off the ground. Try to have a plan before you jump into it. Um, and just be, you know, persistent. Really, really, the persistence is the key. Like, and 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 when you read and and you understand, like how Damon gave us that book about thinking grow rich. If that paragraph didn't jump out to me, I probably wouldn't have never jumped into it full time. Um, and when you read and and you understand that how things go and you know getting. Point, points of view from other, you know, successful people, it might resonate to what you're doing and you might understand it a little bit better. And I, I think, um, you know, I, I just think that needs to be done. And there's so many people who I've talked to over the years who have done none of that. But they have great ideas. And, and, this, and this is another thing. The day of having an idea and having somebody pay for your dream is over. Yeah. It's yeah. over. That stopped in 2008 when that market crashed. Yeah. And people start, they're holding on to their money now. And they're not going to gamble on someone who hasn't gambled on themselves. You know what I'm saying? So if you haven't put any money into it, if you haven't done the necessary things to, to get to that next level, don't expect somebody else to come in and want to be the savior and it's going to put all this money behind you and get you going. Because like I said, if you're not doing the work, they know you're not doing the work. The people that's going to give you the money, they, they've seen a hundred, a thousand of you already. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? So they know how to play you. They know how to manipulate you if, if, if need be. So 
Go in, put as much work as you can into it, whatever you got, um, and just pick up books and learn. You know, I had a conversation with somebody yesterday. We were talking about social media. Now, I'm not an expert on social media, but I've been running the social media for the brand for the last three, three and a half, four years. So there's little things that I've, I've asked people, hey, how do you do this? How do you do that? Um, so he was just telling me something about, you know, hey, he wanted to put out some marketing. He wanted to do this. He wanted to do that. The, the guy never looked at his, uh, at his, at his insights on, on Instagram. He didn't know. It's not that he didn't, he didn't want to. He just didn't know about it. You know, and he's an older cat, and I'm like, yo, listen, we're old, bruh. <laughs> you got to get the young people involved with you to kind of right. help you. Um, because so many times we say to ourselves, oh, you know, I know this or I know that. You, you're never too old to learn something new. And and if you're the smartest person in the room, you need to exit the room and get into a room where you're not the smartest person in the room. Because once you get that thought process in your head, nobody can tell you anything. And little things and little gems, man, can take you to the next level really quickly. You know, you, you might be running around in circles, you know, because he was, he was telling me all the stuff that he, was, he wanted to do. And I'm like, listen, concentrate on this. You think your product looks good, but this is how you do certain things. I just gave him a, cup, a little blueprint, and he was like, oh, man, thank you, man. I, I'm going to jump right on it. Now, that's going to take him to, to another level just a little knowledge that I gave him. So, you know, as an entrepreneur, like I said, figure out, try, try to zig when other people are zagging. So when I say that, it's like, if everybody has a, 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 you know, a TikTok app and you're trying to do something like TikTok, try to do something else that's a little better than TikTok. You know what I mean? Like a yeah. little different than TikTok. Like, Some sort of differentiation. Yeah, don't try to do everything that every, I give you another perfect example. You know, I'm doing a radio station. Everybody, you know, once the pandemic hit, everybody's like, oh, Instagram Live. I could become a star. I could do this. I could do that. And I'm like, you know, not, not just my team, but I saw everybody doing it, right? So I, I sat back and I'm looking. I'm like, man, I ain't never seen so many lives in my life. Like, yeah. Jesus Christ. Like, and, 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 and then my people was, you know, they, they jumped on and they were doing it. And I was like, listen, right now, you're competing with everyone who has a phone. Do you understand what I'm saying? Everyone who has a phone can go live. Not everybody has a radio show. Mm -hmm. It's millions of people. So that is a, that's just a difference right there. So take that and let's run with that. You know what I mean? So, you know, you can't, you can't, like I said, you can't do everything everybody else is doing all the time because you'll just be one of many. I had two last questions for you. Probably the hardest questions of the interview. What is your favorite book and why? Uh, my favorite book is Malcolm X. Because I, I grew up, um, my mother was a very militant. I have a few favorite books, but that one was, that one was just the key for me to kind of change my mind my thought process and my mindset at a time when I needed it. Um, because I grew up with a militant mother and she's always like, you know, like I said, stay out of the system and, and you know, you got to know how to do this. You got to know where you're coming from in order to know where you're going. And, uh, you know, she's always putting all these things in my head over, over time. And she's always told me about Malcolm X. She, she was a 5 percenter when, when I was coming up. 
Um, so she's she was always breaking that down. Like it was funny to see it because it should just go into something, and she'd be like, and my mom's is like, she's she's so also real too, but she's just real humble and street and just shoot straight from the hip too. And I think that's where I get it from. But you know, she used to always say, you know, Martin Luther King, Malcolm X, Nelson Mandela, you know, Huey Newton. Like she used to always tell me about all these people and. She one day she told me, you should make sure you read that Malcolm X book. It should help you out a lot. Tell you, you know, get you where you're going. And then I remember reading it and saw how this person who was a who was wasn't necessarily a good person in the beginning changed his ways, was able to get his life straight and do something with it. It was cut short, but that progress and that timeline and all the stuff that he was he was, you know, doing, it just kinda it just kinda, you know resonated with me when I was that that age when I read it and, I, and I, it's one of the books that actually helped me change my mind so I can get myself straight so you know that that's that's one of my main my favorite books if you could have a coffee date with anyone in the world who would it be and why President Obama <laughs> I would man you know, and like I said, I've met some, I've met some presidents and, and, and some really great people in the world, but this is one person that I really want to meet before I pass this earth. I got, I have to meet him. I'm thinking about sending him a DM on Instagram <laughs> and be like, listen, brother, I don't know if you're going to get a chance to read this or if you read these, but you know, if we can reach out, I just, I would love to meet him, man. I just, you know, I never thought I would see a black president in my lifetime. Um, and then to see one so articulate, smooth, real, uh, like, you know, and just to see the president, we, the, the person, I'm sorry, that we have in the White House today um, is just too contrast. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, absolutely. You know, and, um, and he made me so proud, man. It was like, I, I would just love to sit down and just 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 chop it up with him and, and oh I didn't even see you got him right there in the back I, okay got mm -hmm. him right behind you yeah yep. so it's like you know just just uh, sitting down with him man chopping it up with him and just kind of picking his brain you know I, I I would love to do that that's that's one person I would love to to sit down really the, one of the main people I would like, love to sit down with and talk to it's on my list definitely well look Keith I thank you for taking some time out. Um, you shared a lot. You shared a lot with us. You dropped a lot of wisdom. Um, I, I feel like the um, what you share is just invaluable in terms of relationship management, starting your own businesses, um, brokering deals, and then you know even years later, still finding ways to create your own path and and fill needs that are unmet. So I definitely appreciate that. I hopefully I hope that our uh, our listeners take away some of these gems and apply them to their own lives. So it's definitely a pleasure to have you. And again, as the first Sigma on the show, uh, definitely appreciate that. Blue five. You know? Yeah, exactly. Larry, <laughs> <laughs> right, y'all. This is your host, Kevin Davis, the League of Leaders. Check us out. Please subscribe, share it with your friends and family. Until next time. All right, Kevin. Thank you.